Welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Welcome, everybody. This is uh, Steve Clark. With me, I have Cindy Brinker-Simmons, the daughter of Maureen Connolly, and also with me is Carol Wayman. Um, both are instrumental in the Maureen Connolly Brinker's um, uh, Foundation and the Little Mo International and National Tennis uh, Tournaments. And I'd like to start off with just a, uh, just a note here, is that... Uh, when we have, you know, discussions like this, like we're going to have today, there's going to be so many connections in the history of the game, uh, the the people that are involved, and the lessons we can learn from that um, are are going to be widespread. And I think some of you listening, uh, you're either going to know somebody or have heard somebody uh, that is connected with this conversation, and I think you're in for a real treat. And overarching the entire show, I just want us to think about something here. There's an old saying, um, it's related to a poem, we don't really know who the author is, um, but it's called, What Are You Doing With The Dash? And in a nutshell, I have this on my team shirts, where uh, under some acronyms for our positive physical response, preparation, relaxation, uh, ritual type uh, acronyms, PR, PR, and other things, I have a dash, and also on our competitive sleeves, I have a dash. And that dash stands for what are you doing with the time? And uh, in particular here, we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be getting into Maureen Connolly, uh, her life um, as a tennis player and the only American woman to have won all four Grand Slams in a calendar slam. Um, and then also some others we're going to be talking about. And they are just uh, phenomenal role models, the things they've done with tennis, outside of tennis, in their life, and they use the dash to the fullest. And so that's one of the questions I'll ask myself and have all of you maybe contemplate throughout the show is what am I doing with the dash? And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce both uh, a short introduction here of Cindy, uh, Cindy Brinker-Simmons, daughter of Maureen Connolly. She's a president of the Maureen Connolly Brinker Tennis Foundation since 2007, and she was in the public relations business for over 20 years, having her own company, uh, Brinker Communications. And also with me is Carol Wayman. Is she's the executive vice president of the foundation. Um, she's the tournament was the tournament director of the Virginia Slims in Dallas uh, years ago, and she's the founder of the Road to the Little Mo Nationals and Little Mo International tournaments. Uh, ladies, uh, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Steve. Great to be here. Hi, Steve. Thank you. Great to I, be here, too. Yeah. So that was uh, in, uh, respectively, that was Carol and Cindy. They both have Texas accents, so, uh, but uh, I can tell them apart already, so that's good. So I would like to uh, maybe start off with, um, uh, you know, maybe getting a summary of your thoughts on, uh, I want to read a paragraph. And then, um, Cindy, as her daughter, as Maureen's daughter, maybe you could uh, give me uh, maybe your thoughts on this, but this I, I, I dug up that was written in uh, San Diego many, many years ago, and I was wondering if I could read that, read this paragraph. Would that be okay? Absolutely. 
It says here that Maureen Connolly was nationally recognized as the tennis star from San Diego in the 1950s. At age 11, she was dubbed Little Mo by San Diego sports writer Nelson Fisher, who claimed that her power forehand and backhand had the same firepower as the big guns of the USS Missouri, known as the Big Mo. The Associated Press named her Female Athlete of the Year three consecutive years, an honor she achieved by developing a particularly aggressive style of play. After her career came to a crashing halt on July 20, 1954, when she was thrown from her horse, Little Mo continued to pack a great deal into her life. She frequently told people, I've lived ten lives. She was a tennis champion, newspaper reporter, author, wife, mother, restaurateur, sporting goods spokesperson, television and radio color commentator, philanthropist, and cancer victim dying before the age of 34. So I think that shapes our discussion today in 34 years. What a life. Cindy, can you add anything to that? We're going to obviously be talking a lot of stories and a lot of connections. And again, people listening, I'm going to try and bring this back to the show. The show is always about encouraging, motivating, and teach or educating players, parents, and coaches so we can further educate and motivate other people around us uh, through the game of tennis. Uh, Cindy, any any thoughts on that? Sure. Well, absolutely, Steve. I, I'm really encouraged and motivated by what you start out saying, what are you doing with the dash? That That is such an indictment for all of us, such a motivator to, to really maximize the gifts and talents we've been given. And as you said, Mom's life was meteoric. She packed so much in 34 years. And so many people look at her as as they should as this great tennis champion because she, her, her last year of competitive play, she never lost a match. She never lost any of her grand slams that she competed in. Uh, she's only one of five players who won the grand slam, the calendar year grand slam. But what's interesting, Steve, if, if my dad were here, if my sister Brenda were here, they'd certainly echo what I'm about to say. And the way we memorialize mom or the way we think about mom is she was a remarkable woman who just happened to be a very good tennis player. She was a remarkable woman who just happened to be a very good tennis player because to us what mom stood for is she parlayed all of her passion for tennis. And I love what you said in the very beginning in your intro to, to your great show here that this is about passionate enthusiasts of the game of tennis, and Mom was passionate. She was a passionate enthusiast of tennis. And so she wanted to take that passion. That's the word I use about her. She was so passionate, so dedicated to, to her sport, her grand sport that she loved so much, that had done so much for her, that she wanted to take that passion and be other-focused, give back. She wanted to help other people enjoy tennis like she did. So she was very other-focused, not self-focused. And here this woman, who was literally in the 50s, Steve, one of the most publicized women women in the world behind the Queen of England, the Prime Minister of Israel, and maybe Eisenhower made it in that, that list too. But mom was one of the most publicized women in the world in the 1950s because that was her career. And yet what she did with her life was giving back. And, and that's what we like to remember and, and to really encourage people. We encourage all of our players to play in our little mo, both nationals and international events, to give back to be other-focused, to, to master the skill of living, to be good sports, to, to be just, 
to have fair play as as a core value to to help other people when 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 our players come and participate in the first round of our international tournaments and in our national tournament they give each other a gift either a gift from their state from state to state or in our international tournaments a, a gift that represents the united states so a U.S. player would give an Australian a gift, and an Australian might give a little koala bear. I mean, it's all about relationships and giving back. So I think Mom's dash and what would define her is a person who was absolutely extraordinary at tennis. Her, her career speaks for that. But really what I saw when she was, yes, little Mo to the world, but she was little mom to me. What I saw and what impacted me, intensely impacted me, was the way that mom always believed in giving back and doing for others and being other-focused and making a difference in other people's lives. And hence, the Maureen Conley Brinker Tennis Foundation was birthed after her meteoric career of three years came to a halt. She, she then wanted to give back through the foundation. So I think that was what best characterizes mom da- mom's dash is that love of people, mastering the skill of living through being other-focused, not self-focused. Well, thank you. And one of the things uh, from that, because we're going to be uh, kind of going through on this this one article I read, um, and I looked at several others, but there's some key points in here that I think that people can learn from. And, uh, you know, her growth as a person from what initially uh, motivated her on the tennis court, then through Harry Hopman, how that changed and the love of the game was a little different. And then the people, the relationships uh, that she even um, regretted a certain relationship uh, that she that had changed. And and just those things, uh, the the point I want to make there is we're going to learn for you young folks out there uh, that are playing that, you know, it doesn't mean uh, even though she was a great player, uh, it didn't arrive all at once. And, and the things that you okay. do in life, they change through the period, uh, process of your game. Um, and then the things that you do with the game uh, aren't necessarily from point A to point B always there. There's a growth uh, growth time. And I think it was the same with uh, Maureen. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Mom had started out with some, some difficulties. A- at age 10, Steve, she made a comment that she actually chronicled in a book of hers and, and actually was chronicled in, in future interviews on her. She said, at age 10, at age 10, I wanted to be the best tennis player in the world. And, and a lot of people can say that, but, of course, it's following it up with action. But to your point, she, she came from a single mother family. Her, my, her parents were divorced when she was young, and, and they were certainly always uh, trying to scrape money together, and fortunately, she was in San Diego. So the San Diego Patrons Association was so generous to her, and gave her money to be able to continue to play not just the national circuit, but go to Wimbledon and other Grand Slam tournaments. So she she had some some difficult roads ahead of her, and and even when she was uh, 19, she had just won the uh, Wimbledon in 1954, and, and you characterized it in reading about her on July 20th, 1954, she had a terrible horseback riding accident that literally abruptly terminated her tennis career. She tried to come back. She picked up thousands of marbles in her toes to try and get her her leg, which had been, her, her tendons had been severed. It was a 
she and a friend were riding on a on a, a private street in San Diego in a cement truck lost control of the of the truck and the chute came and grabbed her on the her leg and pulled her off her horse and it just severed the tendons in her leg so she was never able to get back and play competitive tennis she would have been able to play my type of tennis but she wasn't able to play that elite tennis that that made her world champion but yet her response to that was after being in the hospital and realizing that her dreams were dashed even though she tried to come back but she knew in her heart that she couldn't she had a column in the San Diego Union that was called Little Mo Says. And after her accident, she wrote, after getting letters and flowers from her adoring fans, she wrote, I am the luckiest person in the world. And it, her, her life was always an, a great attitude. And, and to the young people listening, life is tough. Life is hard. Life is going to throw you lots and lots of curveballs. It just nothing is easy about life, and and there's no shortcut to excellence. I mean, mom would uh, practiced and practiced and practiced. And just a little side story that right after she had won the U.S. Open in 1951, at that time she was the youngest player to have ever won the U.S. Open. She was 16 years old. And when they went to have a courtside presentation with her and her runner-up, they could not find Little Mo anywhere. And so the organizers started to panic. They couldn't find her. They looked in the locker room. They looked in the dressing room. They looked in where the food was being served, the restaurants, and they could not find Little Mo anywhere. And then they heard this this rally on the most distant court. It was at the West Side Tennis Club at that time because the U.S. Open was played at Forest Hills, not Flushing. And in the very back court, Steve, the very back court, there was Mom practicing her overheads with her coach, Teach Tennant, because she didn't think that her overheads were up to her standard, even though she just won the U.S. Open. So, so Mom would always say, practice, 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 but life is hard. And many, many times, you can't control your circumstances. Mom had no control over that horseback riding accident. Mom had no control over the cancer that invaded her life at age 32. No control. So many times you cannot control your circumstances. Ah, but you can control your responses to your circumstances. You can choose joy. And that is what mom chose to do. She wasn't embittered. She wasn't angry. She realized that her tennis career, yes, was over and had given her great joy, a great exposure to other countries, great adventure, great relationships that she had met, doing things that most teenagers would never dream of doing. And then when she married my dad, such a great marriage and had two adorable daughters. <laughs> and, you know, she had a little family and, and, um, and then was just doing so well. Everything was going so well and the cancer struck. But again, it was at that time that she started the foundation because she wanted to give something back. So, to young listeners, to old listeners, I have to remember this. Many times we cannot control our circumstances because life is hard, but we can't control our responses to our circumstances. And so mom was just such a champion, again, a remarkable woman who just happened to be a very good tennis player because she had such a great attitude, an attitude of gratitude for the life she was able to live, even though it was cut short. And to her dying day, I remember her just saying how blessed she was. A great life. Well, I, I appreciate that. And uh, um, I think that segues in. Uh, again, there's going to be several dis- 
discussion points later about the cheap tennis racket she used. She took a bus up to <laughs> L.A. from San Diego. I mean, there's a lot of things she just threw adversity. And, you know, a lot of our youth these days, they feel, oh, i got to work too hard. i got to do this one. Hey, that's that's what it takes. Um, Carol, um, so this segues into why the Little Mo uh, internationals and nationals and some of those characteristics. Can you share with us, as the director of that, um, what's, why the Little Mo, and what's unique about the Little Mo that maybe I know my son's played in it, but uh, I'll let you mm-hmm. and I'll give you I'll give some right. feedback on it. But if uh, can you share with us just the whys and the how's how it's different or things like that? Sure, sure Steve. Thanks. I remember you well from the Little Mo Internationals in Colorado Springs, and that was a fun event there at the Air Force Academy. And um, we just um, are carrying on the mission that. Marine Conley uh, started her dream, actually, in 1968, and I couldn't be happier to be a part of it and to carry it on in such a way. We, we, we're in pro tennis for so many years, 20 years in Dallas, um, but uh, after the, we sold the Slims in 1990, uh, we really had to refocus on what we were about and what Marine would have wanted with the foundation to carry it forward, and um, we had the Little Mo program started in uh, 1977 in Dallas at the Hockaday School and with only 20 kids. And it was sort of a day outing for kids. A mom's day out, I think it probably was more than anything, to drop the kids off at Hockaday and with their sack lunch. And, and then uh, I wasn't working there then, but uh, from what I gather, it, uh, somewhere time, sometime in the mid-'80s, Steve, it, it, it expanded to all of Texas. And then when I started working there on uh, eight. 89, um, I was doing the Virginia Slims. So like I said, we sold it the next year. And so I just uh, was so excited about this little Mo program and, and the potential of it, really, that it was just so much fun. And it was really only for Texas at the time. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder if there's other sections around the country that would like a little Mo to where you focus on really having a fun time. Uh, it's competitive, but that's not the primary focus. You you meet new players, but mainly bringing what I learned from the pro game to the kids where you have an opening ceremony. I always thought that was fun at pro tournaments where the flags come out and you play music and someone sings the national anthem and you have player parties. We gave lots of player parties with the Virginia Slims of Dallas and you have nice op- uh, welcome packets when they when they arrive. And um, we also added a few other things, like Cindy mentioned, the player gift exchange, where players meet each other from other countries or other states. You give a little $10 or less gift to your opponent. And um, uh, we give Mo coins for sportsmanship. And, and we give, of course, our I guess our secret sauce is the biggest trophies. <laughs> we give really tall trophies because I just remembered <laughs> when I played junior tennis, that's what I played for was the taller the trophy, the better. So that was really how what I wanted to to bring to the table and and expand. And I don't know if you know Kathy Eckel or not, but she's a pro here in Dallas, and she had a little girl named Tara Eckel who was five at the time. Now Tara is now out of college, played tennis for Oklahoma, but it, I didn't really know how to begin at the time. And um, in 1997 was when I started thinking about expanding the Little Mo nationally, and uh, I went to Kathy because she had this little girl playing tennis and I just thought well Kathy will be a great person to ask what we should do and what she envisioned for her daughter Tara to to excel in her tennis and I went to her with the idea I want to have a little mo in every state 
<laughs> and <laughs> Kathy just said, you know, you know, let's just uh, start small. And, and I wasn't familiar with junior tennis at the time because I'd worked in world championship tennis for 10 years before that and then the Virginia Slim. So I didn't really know the junior game. And she said, she explained to me about the USTA had boundary lines and everything was within sections. And she said, let's start off very small. And the boundary lines are already there for you to where you could just the kids could advance through the system into the USTA program, which I thought would be great. Uh, so they got used to the boundary lines and the system, and we would be like the feeder program, if you will, to the USTA program. So we started off, and we started. I thought I thought to myself, I don't know anyone in 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 the eastern area or the Midwest area, the Pacific Northwest. But as time went on. Uh, I had connections through tennis. Um, the local pro at Royal Oaks here in Dallas ended up in Oregon, and so he ran the Pacific Northwest. And just different connections through tennis, like you were saying earlier, that were all connected in some way. And I, I was greeted with um, open arms. Everybody wanted to have a little mo tournament, and so I was able to accomplish that and get all eighteen sec, all excuse me, all seventeen sections um, involved in the little mo, having a sectional event. And then Kathy helped me sort of design uh, the program to where we have the top eight players in each age division, eights, nines, and tens. Um, Back in the day, it was only nines and tens in the early days. Uh, Then we added eight, and then we added 11s. So we created eight, nine, ten, eleven at the sectional level at each of these 17 sections, and the top eight in each age division would advance to the Little Mo Regionals, and we added four regionals, one in Dallas, one in California, one in Florida, and one in Illinois near Chicago. And uh, we've moved around a little bit, different cities and things, but basically that's been our format for the last 18 years to where the the top players from the sectionals would advance to the regionals, and then from the regionals to the nationals we have the top four. So it narrows down to the top 16 basically from each – from the United States and, and the nationals, the top four from north, say in girls eight, top four from south, top four from east, and top four from west. So we narrow it down to the top 16 in the nation in boys eight, nine, 10, 11, and girls eight, nine, 10, 11. And this year we added the 12. So it, it really is exciting to see the, the level of play at the nationals. Um, We've got great young players coming up from all over the United States that are advancing, and we've noticed through the years, like Andy Roddick um, was really our first star when I was started doing it that way. It actually wasn't Nationals in 1992 when Andy Roddick played. It was just Texas, but through the through the last um, 18 years, we've had different stars come through, like Ryan Harrison, Dennis Akudla, Donald Young, um, we have some international stars that we added in the international program eight years ago. Belinda Benchik is, is one of our stars, Anna Kanju, um, Taylor Townsend, uh, the Basic Pospisil, uh, Steve Johnson is making a splash, and I saw where Tommy Paul just uh, qualified for the main draw of the U.S. Open, and, and Katie Swan won, uh, she's, she's runner-up in Australian Open this year. So we've just got a lot of players coming through our program, and it's been really successful every year. It's grown. The players seem to love it. They they like to have fun. They, they, the pressure is not there because we don't offer ranking. Um, it's non-sanctioned. Um, it's just about having fun, meeting other players. Um, 
just building your game, really, because a lot of times the players don't necessarily, um, the ones that are winning at the young age don't necessarily translate into winning as you get older and vice versa. The players, I see it all the time where players are always in consolation or third and fourth, and then they work harder, they go home and practice, and then in four or five years I'm seeing where they're in the top of the ranks in the 16s and 18s. So it's it's really interesting to follow, and, and it's been very rewarding to watch these young players advance and um, just something, just a little idea and back in 1988 to, uh, to, to start something and to see how it's grown. Um, it's just been really exciting, and I think U.S. tennis has got a, some good players coming up, and I hope we've been a part of that. Well, I, I thanks so much for all that. The uh, you know, and I'll give you my my two cents for those listening. Is having participated with my uh, son, uh, we went out, uh, did the, uh, the the regional, local, and then we went to the uh, regional one in Sacramento. But one of the things that was uh, struck me, and I've been a proponent of kind of being uh, a little more intentional about this, um, is the is the sportsmanship and and uh I one thing I really liked about the one in uh Colorado is we had, you know, a clinic ahead of time that I got to help out with, but it was just neat to have the kids. They're working together. They're gonna play each other in this tournament. But they're out there hitting with each other and working on, mm-hmm. on things. Then they're gonna go then they're gonna go beat up on each other, you know, but it was all mm-hmm. in, in a, a good spirit. And, you know, we had uh you know, Chuck Creasy, he gave a nice little uh, talk before to get everybody on the same page. Parents, it's about this. It's about the kids, their sportsmanship, and letting them play, et cetera. So there was, there was kind of this education at the beginning to say, look, this is where we want to be with our tennis and how we want to do it. So let's all agree to do this. And uh, so there was, mm-hmm. it, it kind of put everybody on an even playing field right away, which I think is really important. And then throughout the tournament, there was uh, – I really like the idea of the uh, the Mo coins, you know, and and one of the things I've suggested even in tournaments that we need to start doing, even within the USTA or just uh, regionally, et cetera, is uh, you know when they charge for tournaments, they have that's quite a bit of money that's being made, and some of these tournaments uh, that I've seen, I mean, it's it's a large amount of entry fee money, and you know, surely if we are intentional and we really think that it's about good sports and giving your best and and the competition in the healthy sense. Then maybe uh, umpires uh, the same thing, and tournament directors could be more intentional, more active instead of just staying at the desk, but maybe actually walking around, really looking for good sportsmanship and rewarding that, and then using some of the money in the entry fees to have a little shop where kids can turn stuff in, and then maybe hand out a trophy for the good sportsmanship. So mm-hmm. for me, like in a college tournament I run, I'm gonna have a, you know, we always have the, the different uh, segments of the draw, A, B. And then doubles, um, but it's, I'm also going to be this year implementing a sportsmanship uh, award um, trophy that I, you know, that I want myself and the other coaches and umpires that we were kind of convene and say, hey, who really stood out to have integrity, uh, be a fierce competitor, and uh, yet still being a great sportsman, and then we want to, you know, hand that out. So I think that's a, a really good uh, uh, aspect of the little mo. So I really appreciated that. Well, we do focus on sportsmanship what, through the little Mo coins that the umpires have in their pocket and the kids cash them in for prizes. And it really has helped uh, cut down on the cheating and things like that that unfortunately is part of the, the game. Um, but we, I think we have found something that really motivates. It's more positive than negative reinforcement from the umpires. 
and uh, we also give kindness awards as well. That's another focus of ours, uh, that the players um, get to know each other and not see them as enemies because they're going to see these players all through their junior career. And uh, you wouldn't believe how many people call me later on that they remember meeting somebody at a tournament and and they want to play doubles with them. And they end up being on Davis Cup like different ones uh, through the years have been on Davis Cup teams with each other. So it's just really been exciting to to see these players um, form friendships because that's what you're going to remember more, not the wins and losses. It's, it's, it's the relationships that you form in the early days. And so people just always say they, they always remember the little Mo and, and the friendships and how much fun it was when you were traveling with your parents. And just those days are so fleeting. It's a special time. Right, and 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 we had spoken before the broadcast about you know the interconnectedness of tennis and how it's a big world out there, and tennis is bigger than individuals, and and for us to understand our role in the whole uh, the whole game, the whole culture, and respecting the sport, and uh, you know, so right now I'd like to maybe talk about a few things that are going to bring up some of those connections, and let's start if if we may, where I want to maybe give the historical background because we have the U.S. Open coming up. And uh, Cindy, what would be a, for the listeners who may not know the history behind this, but what's kind of significant about this U.S. Open in light of what uh, your mother did? She was yes, the first American is... woman to win the... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. This is a very exciting U.S. Open indeed, Steve, uh, in light of Serena's just domination this year. Mom, to your point, was the first American woman and uh, was the first woman and the first American woman to ever win the Grand Slam. She won it in 1953, the calendar year. Uh, She was 18 years old. There have only been five players who have won the Grand Slam. Don Budge, who was an American, did it in 1938. He was the first. And then Rod Laver, the great Rod Laver, that amazing Aussie, won it in 1962 and 69. And then Margaret Court won it in 1970. Uh, she was Australian, and Steffi Groff won it in 1988, and she's German. So Mom was the only, to date, has been the only American ever to win the Grand Slam. She did it at 18. But eyes are really breathlessly anticipating uh, the Grand Slam, the U.S. Open this year because Serena uh, Williams is certainly poised to win. She's just, her, her game this year has just been clearly dominant. And so we're all looking to see if she can now be the sixth person and the second American to win the Grand Slam this year because, of course, the U.S. Open is the last leg of the calendar year of all four Grand Slam matches to win in one calendar year. It's the Australian in January. It's the French in May, Wimbledon in June, July, and then the U.S. Open is the last leg of the Grand Slam. So it will be very exciting to see the outcome, and Serena is well poised to do it. Well, uh, this brings up a couple things. At age 18, to do anything of significance is amazing, but let alone uh, win four Grand Slams. That's just amazing. Yeah, Um, and Serena is 33, just to put it in perspective, too. She's 33. That's my point. It's just just, uh, mind-blowing. So... Uh, one of the, and, and I'll be honest, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, 54, um, and, uh, you know, growing up in Northern California and coaching, uh, a huge chunk of my, uh, coaching college coaching career in Southern California and, and knowing the likes of, uh, you know, you know, uh, 
Roy Emerson and uh, Vic yeah, Braden yeah. and Meyer McNamara, Jack Kramer and Bill Kellogg and, and Alan Fott. I mean, you have all these people that have all this interconnectedness. It's just a, it's just a real pleasure. And even knowing, even knowing these people, uh, Dodo Cheney. I mean, Dodo, Dodo Cheney yeah. was the, uh, her mother, Mae Sutton Bundy, as you know, was the first uh, a woman to win uh, American to win Wimbledon, and then Dodo was the Australian. But then we have uh, your mother coming by and, and winning the Grand uh, the Grand Slam. Uh, even growing up, I you know I wasn't attuned to that, and so th- to me, this is a history you know lesson and a character lesson. And these are some of the things I want to talk about now: the characteristics of champions. Um, I'm just going to put it out there for you two to uh, to. Maybe put a list together of what do you consider the characteristics of a champion? Because there are some things I I wanted to highlight that I noticed in an article, um, but I wanted your take on you know from Marine and maybe even other players that you've seen some of these great women and men that have done phenomenal things. What is the characteristics of a champion? Well, I'll I'll start to tackle that, and then Carol, you can certainly add your okay. your wisdom. Mom was just so mentally tough. She she was a great friend off the court. Uh, again, she was ten years younger than all of her her opponents, and she, there were about five of them in her day: Shirley Fry, Louise Bruff, Doris Hart, who just passed a couple months ago, Margaret Osborne Dupont, who was really good in doubles, but she was a big contender in singles. And Mom, so the five of them really competed at that elite level at, uh, for the Grand Slam championships. And they were all friends. Mom was a good friend. She was about 10 years younger than than all of them. So off the court, they all got along beautifully. As you were talking about before, we can be friends off the court and should be friends off the court. But the minute Mom walked on the court, everything changed. She wanted to win. And interestingly, Steve, she told me when I was very young that everybody walks on the court wanting to win. But you can take one of two approaches. When you walk, to, and it could be any sport, really. Tennis just happens to be an individual sport, but this could be football, basketball, golf, whatever. But when you walk onto any playing field, you want to win. But the approach is either you want to win or you're fearing to lose. And mm-hmm. fearing to lose, if you go on the court fearing to lose, that emotion of fear will just paralyze you. You won't be able to make mm-hmm. a big shot. Yes. It is an emotion right. that just grips you. And and you won't be able to play to your standard of excellence. Whereas mom, because she was very confident, went on the court wanting to win. And so she was freed to, to play the big shots. She was freed to to go for it when when the when the, the competition came down to some real pressure points. But it was that mm-hmm. mental toughness of hers that allowed her when she missed a shot, whether it was just as you say many sports a busted play if it was a busted play or she missed an easy shot she wouldn't dwell on that she'd get right back into the game she'd let that slide off her back and she would go to the next point and a dear friend of mine who actually played competitively an american said that he spoke with mom once i mean good good family friend and said that mom said this is just uncanny to me that she was always five points ahead on every point in other words she already knew what she was going to do at the fifth shot of that particular point. So she was always thinking ahead about where she was going to play. So it was very tense and very strategic for her. So I would say for her, her mental toughness 
was absolutely at the core of her excellence, but then she walked on the court well-prepared. She practiced rigorously, and she never had any shortcuts, and young people need to know there are no shortcuts to excellence. It's practice, practice, practice if if you want to be successful. And it's not just practicing, but it's perfect practice. It's not the hours necessarily. It's practicing correctly. I think sometimes kids mistake practicing for four or five hours is practice, but it might not be good practice. I'm sure you talk about that a lot, Steve, with your with your uh, your 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 uh, the, those you coach and the your teams that you have um, coached for sure it's, it's it's practicing well and then it's it's also having a passion for the sport you've got to want to play the sport it can't be because your parents want you to do it or your coaches want to do it you've got to have that burning fire in you and and mom really loved tennis and and she loved the entire idea about going on, playing hard, doing the best you can, and again, being very, very mentally tough. And, and I think that those, those are characteristics that defined her. Just an interesting story. My dad and I, for 20 years, had an ongoing dialogue, 20 years about, to your point, what made mom a champion. I mean, I was a good player. I played and and even played a little bit on the pro tour. I think if you blinked, you might have missed my career. So I played a little bit, but, I mean, never, ever was I a great player. So we talked about what made, what was the difference between being a, a good junior, playing a little bit on the pro tour, being good in college, to being the best. So we had this 20-year dialogue. Was it her footwork? Was it just her mental toughness? Was it just her rigorous practice regimen? Was it her being all in? What was it? Was it being... Uh, the support she received from other people, the encouragement. And after 20 years, Steve, 20 years, we got it. We finally came down to what it was. And what it was that we decided that made Mom the champion, to answer your question, was that indefinable something. (laughs) She was that Mm. indefinable something. It was just all of those together. But I think it has to gravitate around your mental toughness and your passion for the sport and your being prepared by by good practice routines and and just the rigor with which you 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 approach the sport. Yeah, there's a there's a term uh, bouncing around these days in research and sports psychology. It's the idea of grit. It's uh, it doesn't matter what happens, mm-hmm. you're just in it for the long haul. And uh, I think that's mm-hmm. what uh separates people out and and one of the things that uh and I'll just jump in here is she uh, early on in this article it said she hated losing and I had a talk with Alan Fox the other day cuz I have a little article I've written on this where, you know, there's a difference between somebody who loves to win and somebody who hates to lose and somebody who wants, who doesn't mind losing if they played well versus somebody who, who would rather win and play ugly. And I think that combination mm, yeah. of you, you hate, you love the game, you love playing it, but that's not what motivates you. You hate to lose. You will do everything yes. possible to win because you respect the sport. You know, you're dominant and you, you're going to do everything possible. You don't run down a ball and go, oh, I love playing this game. You run down the ball thinking there's no way that girl's beating me. And then, right. uh, and, then and then, secondly is that uh, that idea of, uh, of you know, the grit. And uh, so, anyways, I think uh, that's one thing that popped out, you know, uh, and winning ugly. I mean, I, I guarantee you, even though she went and practiced the overheads after the, the, the championship, uh, she said, I'll do whatever it takes to win, you know. And I think it. that grit. That's right. Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> she, she won so, that match exactly. Yeah. So uh, 
Carol, any any thoughts on that? And then I've got a couple things yeah, I want to I, throw in. Yeah, I agree with all of what Tony said. Um, I've given trophies to many of young player uh, that's won their matches, um, the little Mo, and just to really their attitude is just to see them walking on the court and walking it. They have the same attitude where they win or lose. Uh, they don't get too excited about the highs. They don't get too down about the lows. So they handle everything um, very well. It's uh, like the mental toughness part. I guess that plays into it. Their body language that they they handle themselves very well and very mature on the court. They could come off the court and when they smile, they have one tooth showing because they're like second graders, but they're they're very too, very mature for their age. Um, <laughs> and it's just amazing. But it's the it's the confidence level that they have because a lot of them can hit the same forehand hit the same backhand and you know their service good so what separates it well it's, it's between the ears it's the confidence and um you just see it and and they're willing to to learn new things and, and try and never give up in fact i was just at the west side with our little mo internationals in new york at forest hills and jimmy connor shows up to warm up uh Jeannie bouchard who's now coaching and I was standing there watching me, and he is amazing how he can still play. Uh, granted, he was hitting in one spot, but it was amazing the level that he can still hit the ball. And his hitting partner was the, the new type of player where he was hitting a lot of high balls that were bouncing up around Jimmy's head, and he wasn't used to that, like old school hitting low to high. And uh, the hitting partner said, you don't like them high, do you? And Jimmy said, <laughs> yeah, I'll take just – Take, give me what you got. You know, give give it to yeah. me. I can hit it. I, I, you know, he was not about to say no. You know, can you hit, yeah. not hit him with so much top spin? So that just showed me he's, I think, 62 years old, still hitting great, and then, uh, you know, wanting to, to hit any ball that came to him. So to me, that yeah. just shows he, he didn't even know anybody was listening or watching, but he had that as mindset. Whatever you're going to give me, I'm going to handle. And a lot of these kids are so emotional because they're young and uh, it's the ones that can hide those emotions and control them. And like, I remember a long time ago when I was playing that I read somewhere where Chris Everett's father couldn't travel to the tournament and he was always able to watch her on television and not be there. And he said, whenever I turn the television on and see you, I want to not be able to know whether you're winning or losing. So I took that to my matches when I played that to not let you, your motion shows your opponent because that can get them an advantage. And I think mm-hmm. these better players can hide that very well. So the, they always have the advantage. Because when a player yeah. can tell and they're getting um, irritated uh, that they might be losing or whatever, then that just uh, gives more fuel to the opponent. So it's just that, like Cindy said, it's a combination of, of all of those things that come together. Diet now is very important. Footwork, like if you can't, these players work so hard on hitting forehands and backhands, drilling all day long. Well, can't get to the ball. It doesn't matter whether you have a good forehand or a, or a good backhand if you can't physically get there in time. So to me, one thing that young players out there is listening, they should be working doing footwork drills more than <laughs> hitting backhands and forehands. That, that's important too, but what good does it do if you can't make it to the ball? And, and players are so fit now that you just have to really watch your sleeping habits, your eating habits um, at a younger and younger age. 
the, the years of childhood eating candy and cokes, drinking cokes and things like that are in the in the history books because everyone's yeah. really working hard. Mm-hmm. Well, one well it's, one of the things that Cindy mentioned is about the uh, the idea of well prepared, and I've even uh, sometimes if a player of mine is struggling, I'll say, look, uh, uh, you've worked too hard to let this guy beat you. You know, deep down inside, you right. have to say, you know what, uh, man, I have put so much time, and that's why one of the mantras is you're going to be fitter and work harder than your opponent because deep down inside, when push comes to shove. You know that it's, uh, it's it's deep in the third. Well, no, Grand Slam's deep in the fifth. You're going to say, no, uh, there's no way. I put in way too much time and too much blood, sweat, and tears to, to lose this point. And uh, this this is what rings true when I'm reading the article that uh, Tennant uh, said, uh, her coach at the time, I like this quote. Um, she and I would have gotten along. She said, uh, to, to to do that, you'll have to move. Uh, she's playing uh, She's playing a match and she's behind. And uh, so she comes up to Marine and says, to do that, you have to move faster, and you have to do it even if it kills you to win this set. Forget you're tired. You're in the big leagues now. You can't submit right. to fatigue. Concentrate on your game. You must win. And uh, and win she did. So uh, clearly she had uh, she had a good connection with her coach at the time, and uh, she you know she fought extremely hard. So That's uh, right. So I, Steve, yeah. I want to share something. I have on my desk yes. at home uh, a picture of my mom and a quote of hers. And I think it ties all of this together. This is her quote, and I, I look at this every day. There's nothing like competition. It teaches you early in life to win and lose, and when you lose, to put your chin out instead of dropping it, quote, unquote. And what she was saying is there is something about the benefit of competition, thriving in competition. Competition is good. It just inspires you to do your best. But, as we're all saying, it teaches you to win, and they, everyone wants to win, but also people lose. My mom did not lose a match her last year of her competitive play. She never lost any of the Grand Slam matches she played in. But when she started, she lost the matches. And instead of throwing a racket down on the crowd, uh, on the ground, cursing the umpires, or making excuses. She learned from those losses. And instead of putting her chin down and just saying, uh, being discouraged and saying, I'm not going to play anymore, or, or letting a loss get to her and discourage her, she thrived on the idea of competing better and, and wanting to win and using that loss as a great stepping stone for improvement. So, Mom, I just remember her so much always talking about the benefits of competition. And I think that's real important, particularly for young people, as they're beginning to hone their skills, as they're beginning to try new shots, as Carol was saying. And we see these. It was amazing being in New York this week, just seeing these young 8-, 9-, 10-year-olds doing things that just would put me in the hospital. I mean, they're just so good. But yet to be able to to want to just play and improve and using your losses as a springboard for getting better. And I think that also separates the champions, that losses, even though nobody likes them, are a great way to hone your skills, razor sharp. A story about mom, she lost to a little girl when she was 11 years old in a match, Ann Bissell, and she lost very decisively. And she used that loss to spur her on to work on her weak shots when she was 11. The next year, she came back and played Ann Bissell 
even had a picture of Ann Bissell in her room <laughs> to kind of motivate her to, to win mm-hmm. next time. And she went back and beat Ann Bissell 0-2 the next year in the same tournament that she had lost the year before. So, again, I think Mom was such a believer in the benefits of competition. And even when she did lose, to use those losses as a way to improve and just to get better and to hone your skills. Go ahead, Carol. Oh, I was just going to say that Andy Roddick, uh, when he played Little Mo, the first year he played, uh, he lost in the first round. And the next year he came back and he won the consolation. And the next year he came back and won the tenth title. So it just shows you he just didn't pack his tent. He right. went home and worked harder and came back and, and progressed. That's right. Yeah, I think I think the one of the key things, um, and then we can uh, move on, is with uh, with with champion characteristics. Is uh, I think the quickest way to improve your game is to work on weaknesses, and champions know that. In fact, champions, I've I've That's said right. that let's say let's say in a doubles match, if they lose, a champion will take. Let's say if I'm uh, a champion is playing, you know, with a, with another player in doubles, and someone asks that champion, he says, "So uh, what happened in the doubles? You guys lost." And he says, "Oh." They'll generally take blame and defer credit, whereas losers will defer blame and take the credit. And mm. so I think that you, when you do that, when you do that in singles, if you don't have a doubles partner, but you take the blame and and you say, "Look, that, it's all on me. I've got to do this. I've got to fix it." So upon a loss, you're going to say, "Man, who who else is going to do this? I got to get out on the mm. court and I got to fix this." And that should be That's a motivator right. to practice harder. And in a doubles team, you have somebody else to help you kick you in the rear to get you to do that. But uh, So I think that's a real uh, key characteristic. And one of the things, there was mentioned in this article also this match she had against Doris Hart. And they and uh, one of the uh, sports writers yeah. said they thought that was the greatest match uh, yeah. that they had witnessed. I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, before I move on to some other topics, is there a copy of this anywhere, like a video of this? I believe that was the 53 Wimbledon. Was that the 53 Wimbledon? It was like 7586. It's considered one of the yes. best matches ever played. Yeah. Yes. We there are newsreels, of course. <laughs> Modern-day media is so astounding. Right. Uh, when Mom played, it was a little more limited. We have different copies of Mom playing tennis, but they're more just quick shots, Flips. almost like. Like blips, exactly. Not whole matches. But uh, I've read that many, many times. And, and yes, it is considered one of the best matches ever played. It was in the finals of Wimbledon against Doris Hart, who was a great friend to mom. Great friend. Doris was amazing.